you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. it's a little harder to end the scripture reading with the word of God for the people of God. It's not every Sunday that Chad plans a vacation day on a Sunday, but man, throw in the, throwing someone to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and he's gone. But, uh, I'm glad we're in Philippians. Thank you so much for that anthem. And uh, we are so fortunate to have Janelle that picks music that so beautifully illustrates our scripture for the day. And, and thank you to Mac for joining me. I think when I hear God's voice, it's either going to be Morgan Freeman or Max. So <laughs> we'll see what it's like. Those are my guesses. Anne Lamont has recently become one of my favorite authors. And in her book, Traveling Mercies, she has a chapter titled, Why I Make Sam Go to Church. Sam is her son, and at the time she wrote the chapter, he was about seven years old. He was the only kid in the neighborhood who went to church, and sometimes, which was usually always, he didn't want to go. Here is why I make him go to church, she writes. Because I can, and because I outweigh him by nearly 75 pounds, but that's only part of it. The main reason is I want to give him what I have found in the world, which is to say a path and a little light to see by, a community Most of the people who I know that have what I want, which is to say purpose, heart, balance, gratitude, joy, those are people with a deep sense of spirituality. They are people in community who pray, who practice their faith, people banding together to work on themselves and for human rights. They follow a brighter light than the glimmer of their own candle. They are a part of something beautiful. Will you join me in prayer? God, in these next moments, and in all the moments of our days, might we as your people think on whatever is pure and whatever is good, whatever is noble and whatever is just. Lord, this morning, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Amen. Amen. Now, how many of you, I won't say love, but will be present when a disagreement is going on? Nothing big, just watching people hash something out. I don't expect you to raise your hands because you're probably much farther on that road to sanctification than I am. But I'll be honest with you and say that I haven't reached that place yet. Now, when in a situation is dear to me and people are arguing, of course I It pains me, and I try to be a fixer. I try to find solutions, and I care deeply. But when it's, let's say, two people on social media that I have a smaller connection with, or maybe some playground gossip that happens, I'm there, and I dive in, and I like to listen, and I I try to find out what's going on, and pretty soon I go down a rabbit hole. I like uh, those 
television shows that come on on Friday nights, I won't say their names, but you know, we have this mystery and we all have to figure out what's going on and by the end of it, I'm Judge Judy just sitting on my couch screaming, they did it. They could hire me and save a lot of money on shortening the length of the show. But to us today, that's almost what we get at the beginning of the Philippians reading. Chapter 4 is the main business of the letter. It's almost like Paul thanks them, he gives them some advice, and then adds a comment. Well, listen, while I've got your ear, that's kind of how we feel. There's a disagreement going on, and Paul from a prison is writing to a group that shares a mutual deep love between that group and himself. We get the insight that there is a disagreement between two ladies, Euodia and Sinche. We don't know what the disagreement is. Trust me, I've looked and looked, but apparently it's so public, so known at the time of this writing, that now Paul is writing to the church about it and to them. It's our unsolved mystery this morning. He pleads with them to work it out, and not just that, he pleads with the church to help them work it out. He urges them to walk alongside these two ladies to solve their issues because they're special to him, because they have been such a witness with him in sharing the gospel story. He follows it up with some tips, some thoughts he feels might resolve issues. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. He gives some more advice on working together, and then he says, then you will experience the peace of God, which exceeds anything that we can understand. That's the part that has been on my mind and on my heart the whole time as I have been preparing for today. To give you insight into my brain and planning, which I'm sure is a scary thought to you, when I'm preparing to preach, I always read the lectionary text about a month ahead of time, and then I just stop, and I let myself think about the text, and I think about stories that I feel go along with it, and I think about me and where I'm at and you and where you're at, and then I try to put words together with what I feel is what God is trying to say to us in these moments. Today's text about disagreements in the church and asking the church to help walk beside people in a disagreement, they struck me hard. Paul, in this moment, doesn't give any doctrinal direction. He speaks through a letter, almost in a pleading way, with a church and a people that he loves so deeply to settle disagreements. Because I believe, in my own words, this isn't black and white in the text, because it's hurting their witness. It's hurting all the glorious things that the Christian movement can accomplish and all the ways that they can bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. At this point, they've accomplished so much, but the very future of the church relies on their witness and how they live out the lives in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are watching and there are others to convert and to bring into this faith that Paul is so desperately trying to get people into for Christ. Now, in connecting it to our story, a church disagreement is something that none of us have ever heard about, of course. We always get along within the walls of Andover, and of course, within the walls of the denomination known as the United Methodist Church. But even still, I think today's scripture has a lot to say to us. You know, Paul finds himself in a prison, and we all find ourselves 
in a prison of some sort in a point in our lives, whether it's a prison of depression or anxiety in our minds, whether it's a prison of watching the ones you love but you can't do anything to help, whether it's a prison of wanting to act to fix things and you can't, we find ourselves in prison, helpless, sometimes hopeless, and pleading with God or ourselves or the ones whom we love to just fix things, to just bring peace to the pain, to bring resolution to our disagreements or the disagreements of ones that we love. And so Paul's advice is both simple and complex at the same time. He tells them, and might I suggest that God tells us to fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable, on what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And what if we applied these same principles to those that we might be in a disagreement with? What if instead of seeing the bad, what if we fixed our eyes and our thoughts on the love that we have for them? What if we decided to look at their admirable qualities and on their excellence, on the gifts that God has given them, who God might be calling them to be, on what they bring to the table, so that then, at the table, we might work through our differences and further the work of Christ in the world. I truly believe that the worst thing we can ever do is leave the table of conversation. I mentioned the author, Anne Lamott, but my uh, favorite author, which I've told you many, many times, is uh, Dr. Brene Brown. And if she wrote it, I have it. And she's done excessive work on how to help leaders lead and, and unite people instead of having us push others away. And she talks about how when we are divided and we just walk away from each other, we do more harm. Instead, we are vulnerable. When we are vulnerable and we have daring conversations, we can accomplish more good than we when we only surround ourselves with people who think and act like we do. I have to remind myself of that often. Others are watching our relationships even if we don't realize it. Might I suggest that Paul tells us that these suggestions are good because those are what can extinguish the fires that can run rampant from our hate and from our disagreements? What if in those moments we focus our eyes not on the pettiness of the disagreement, not on the hatred of our hearts towards the ones we disagree with, but instead on the good parts of both them and our futures together? What if we fixed our eyes on all that God can accomplish, all the good and all the wondrous deeds that we could accomplish with his help if we but trusted and relied on his vision and not our own? Last week during his sermon, Chad talked about keeping our eyes forward and, and focused on the good to come. And I'll be honest and say that sometimes I fall into the mindset of looking back. I have a habit of looking at past accomplishments of people that I love or even those in my own life, and I begin to view things as they say in the lens of the good old days. Days when the relationships I always knew and valued and appreciated were still right and still whole. For me today, it's easy to think of people that I desperately love who have walked away from the table of conversation. Those people who have decided it was best to follow a path that was different. Maybe you have those in your life as well. Maybe it's the pain of family members who have severed a relationship with others due to different political beliefs. 
might sound petty to some, but my family has those right now. Members from the same family, shared blood and histories, yet have completely severed ties of communication because of elected officials or because of the craziness we have made politics, political views, and elections. If it's not that, maybe it's the loss of your own friendships because of disagreements. I don't think I'm making an assumption when I say that each one of us in this room today has been affected in some way by the current division and disagreements happening in our denomination. I know that there are many in this room who have watched their home church choose to go a different way than what they felt was right, or you wouldn't be a part of our church family today. There are still friends, there are still family members, there are still colleagues and pastors and churches that we love, that we deeply love and respect, who are choosing to do something that we didn't choose to do for ourselves. And what do we do with those disagreements? I have pastors and mentors that helped get me to where I am that have walked away from the churches that I love over issues and differences that I have strong wishes to just sit down and talk about. Do we hold hatred or fault? Do we shut off those connections and shut the door? Or do we fix our eyes on what is right and what is good of those relationships and those memories? I have a strong conviction that it's our job to keep working, to keep trying, to keep persevering, to make those relationships right and whole, because friends, our witness depends on it. If we want people to walk into our doors and fall in love with the same Jesus that we fell in love with and continue to fall in love with daily, they will do so more by seeing our hearts and our actions that are fixed on important parts of our God and of our world that need us versus seeing a people who disagree and bicker and argue among themselves. Simply put, I'm tired. I'm tired of listening to voices that I love fight against each other in petty arguments. I'm tired of listening to messages and actions of exclusion of any type of person. I'm tired of listening to hate-filled speech, and so is the world watching us. If you don't believe me, log on to social media. Read the news. Ask someone you know who is currently not worshiping in a church and they will tell you. The people who are longing to find our God in a sense of peace just want us to get along. They want us to love the way that God loves. They want us to be a part of a people who have their eyes fixed on bringing about good, of bringing about needed change to a broken world and to be a part of a people who are just and have their hearts guarded by Christ Jesus. A people who, as Anne Lamott noted, had light to see by in a community of love and forgiveness. Paul knew that, and he pleaded with the church to make voices come together in peace. He pleaded with the church to surround disagreements and to help heal wounds of hurt and pain. That's a way we show witness to the world a group of imperfect people who choose to come to the table to talk through things, a people who, though we might see a different way of accomplishing it, are grounded by the same Christ who can set us on a mission together. I'm not a fool. I know this won't be accomplished today, tomorrow, or even in the immediate weeks to come, but the change needs to start with us. We read today of Paul's letter to a church and to a people he loved. 
What will people read in generations from now when they read about the people known as Andover? What will they think about when they read about the United Methodist Church? Did we do all that we could to fix our eyes on the good and the lovely and the pure? Will they read that we did all in our power to make disciples for Jesus Christ across the street and around the world? Did we make seats at the table for all voices to come together to be grounded in Christ? Did we love as Christ loved? Did we create disciples for God the way that Christ did? I read a quote this week from a United Methodist bishop on how they talk through disagreements when they can't just go in and make everything immediately right. And they said this, early on, I realized that if I went in defensively and closed, it would only create more tension. I think the world is so hungry for love, and love is the only way that we can work toward a more healthy future in a healing way. I, uh, this morning when I was driving, I thought of this story, and I didn't put it in my notes, but it's been on my mind. About two years ago, uh, my grandfather, uh, as you know, has been here, and he was a pastor at a church where I grew up, and, and when he retired, he did the United Methodist thing, and he went away for a little while, and then they asked him to come back on staff as an assistant pastor. And about two years ago, uh, they took him to dinner, and they let him know that he would be retiring. And so that was a deep pain for him and for our family. And for me, for a church where I grew up that I have not set foot in the doors for two years. This week, you uh, might have read, if you follow United Methodist News, that a bishop from California was tried. There were some accusations made against her, and she was put on leave, and I don't pretend to know everything about those accusations. I haven't done my deep dive yet. But this week, she was reinstated. This week, my grandparents are back in their church after some things that happened that cleared the way for them to be able to go back and worship with the community that they've been away from for two years. How do we go back in after disagreements? How do we make right what has been wronged? One loving and patient conversation at a time. When we fix our eyes together on the true and the holy. So today I ask you, friends, what relationships do you or do we collectively have that need healing and a sense of peace? What do we do to repair and to fix? What do we do to bring all to the table instead of taking away chairs? In what ways do we live out the calling of Isaiah to be repairers of the breached? It's our mission in the world. It's our call as Christians to bring others to Christ. It's what, plead, it's what Paul pleaded the church to accomplish. And it's what God calls us as Andover and as United Methodists to accomplish in our world. My prayer for us, for all of us in this room today, is that we might be people who have our eyes fixed who work for what is just and what is right, might we be people who pray first in everything so that God's peace will bring us all together. We can do this. We must do this. And with the help of God, we will do it. Amen.